everybody to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football-specific podcast. I'm your co-host, Jeffrey the Greek, thankfully joined, as always, by... This is Big Kurt here. Big Kurt, if you had, you had a rough day, a little it's bit. It's a tough day. Yeah. Tough day at work. Yeah. Tough day with technicalities with the Eyes on Big Podcast. Yeah. But we powered through. Do you remember the uh, Seinfeld episode when it was like the yin-yang, whenever one was down, oh, yeah. the, other, the other one Even was Steven. Up. Even Steven. Yeah. I must be the other side of it because I, I had an excellent day at work. Lots of things oh, just okay. went great. Um, well, so one of us is George. The other's Elaine. We need, we need a Jerry somewhere. We yeah, need, we need, we need the even Steven. Actually, maybe the even Steven is is our guest. Our guest that we have coming up, All right. which is uh, Pick 6 Previews on, on Twitter. If you aren't following them already, please do. What a transition, by the way. That was pretty good. Yeah. We didn't even rehearse that, really. So. Right. Um, we're going to go through some housekeeping items, and then we're going to transition pretty quickly into the interview uh, that we did with Pick 6. Again, they're, they're fantastic and, and do a lot of good work, but we'll, we'll get to that eventually. So, Big Kurt, you got some housekeeping? Housekeeping? No, thank you. Sleeping. Housekeeping? Sure. We're going to start with some transfers. The portal has been activated again now yes. that we're out of spring and some players have not found themselves on that depth chart where they expected to be. So let's start with Penn State quarterback Tommy Stevens enters the portal. He was expected by many to be the starter this upcoming season, but he and apparently his father wanted a guaranteed starting spot. At least and that is the rumor. That's not typically how football works. I don't think so. Unless you are the guaranteed third year starter and it's you know some sort of redshirt freshman that obviously isn't up to your level if you haven't won your job right. through spring you're gonna have to keep fighting it out in, in camp well so the big question right now there's a lot of chatter about where he's going to transfer to and is he saying the same things to these teams that he wants to transfer to yeah yeah i, I need to start otherwise i don't want to come because who's gonna take that i have no idea nobody is yeah okay moving right along and i think it by the way okay. it's it's yeah. gotta it's gotta count to the talent that's behind him i mean Tommy Stevens was was a big time recruit that I mean a yeah. lot of people oh, thought sure. this was you know the heir apparent to Trace McSorley. I don't think James Franklin is is just trying to draw a line in the sand for nothing. I mean obviously there must be something sure. to some of the talent. That's I think they do him, have some so, uh, talent behind him. This one another Rutgers transfer tight end Travis Vokalek. This one surprised me. Yeah, had such a great year last year. They look like they're poised to make a big jump on offense this year. He's entered the portal. I mean, he had to be their tight end one going into the. Oh, I think so. Right yeah. now, so now it's Jonathan Lewis, the original quarterbacks, switched to tight end, back to quarterback, now back to tight end. Looks like they're tight end number one. Oh, Piscataway. Yeah, that's too bad. I know. Two of their I know. their most reliable offensive players now gone. Sorry to hear that. Okay, Ohio State yeah. quarterback Matthew Baldwin has entered the portal. Boy, after Justin Fields, there is nothing left at quarterback for them. So uh, I, I guess this basically means uh, it's a rehash of a conversation we had uh, fall when uh, Adrian Martinez won the starting quarterback job at Notre Dame and right. a transfer there. Um, at Nebraska. Nebraska. Um, kind of the same thing here. I, 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 I hesitate on – sharing my uh, point of view on a young kid it's not it's not my it, it's his life it's not mine okay sure. and and i guess i'm just offering up my opinion here but you, you you don't stay at ohio state i'm not saying 
okay, maybe you do beat out Justin Fields. Okay, that's a, that's a potential. Where else are you going to go that either, A, you're guaranteed to, to start, right? Because if you go to what is almost for sure going to be a lesser program. Sure. He's going to transfer down. He's going to transfer down, right? So if you don't start at the next place you transfer down to, now you're the backup at, you know, Illinois. university, whatever, as opposed to being the backup at Ohio State. Yeah. I, I mean, but if you've got a better chance to play, that's all he wants to do, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. All right, another one. Purdue University quarterback Elijah Sindelar has been granted a sixth year of eligibility. So he will join Iowa basketball player <laughs> Jess Settles as the only two Big Ten athletes to ever span three decades playing at their, their school. So I asked Big Kurt, we need, we need to name, you know, have an award to name for somebody that feels like they've been in college forever. Boom, you pulled Jess Settles out of nowhere. Huh? That's That was the first one that came to mind. You know why? I was wondering why I thought of that. It's probably the first time that I can remember that I even knew about a six-year of eligibility. Right. Because it's so far back. It was like, what, 99, I guess, is when he got his last year of eligibility or something yeah, like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And actually, I looked it up, so he only spanned one decade, and Elijah Sindelar is only going to be one decade, but I just had to throw that gotcha, in there. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, what about you? When, when you? when you think of six-year guys, who pops into your mind? I started uh, brainstorming on it, then I just got busy with life and work. But Wasn't Taysom Hill around for eight well, years? Well, I, I just was – it feels like Duke Duke basketball players. So, somebody okay. that feels like they were you know playing Duke basketball for approximately nine to 14 years. Who was the Indiana basketball player that went to Iowa? Uh, Luke Recker. Recker, yeah. Okay. He played a long time, didn't he? Didn't he get extra years? <laughs> probably, probably four years, but I don't know. I'd have to, okay. I'd have to look that up. <laughs> Iowa basketball players have the ability to stick on a roster for more than four years. Yeah, and then, I, I don't know. There's a lot of BYU quarterbacks that just seems right. like it's, well, you it has got, to do with the got, Mormon mission. Yeah, the, you take a two-year break. They're there, <laughs> and then they're two years later, they show up again. Well, and they're 42 when they get done playing right. college you know, sports, so it makes a difference, too. <laughs> right. That's all I got for housekeeping. Okay. All right, so that'll get us right into the interview right now. All right, so we have got a special guest here on the Eyes on Big podcast that uh, Big Kurt and I are very excited about. This is Pick 6 Previews. It's somebody we've been following on Twitter for quite some time. Um, we the, the Pick 6 Previews just put out puts out all kinds of great stats and information. We commented on it, both commented, Big Kurt and I, uh, last fall. Uh, kind of got a relationship going. So welcome to the podcast. Uh, pick six previews. Do I call you Mr. Pick six previews or, or how's, how do you, how do you want us to refer to you? Yeah, that, that works too. Uh, some of my friends just call me pick six now. Um, but okay. yeah, thanks. Thanks Kurt and Jeffrey for having me on. Uh, you know, I, I started listening to you guys about a year ago. Um, the off season is when I go back and really start to almost binge watch, you know, binge listen the la- the previous season. Um, and I'll do, you know, 10 episodes in a row, but you're my, my go-to for the big 10, uh, just knock out episode after episode. And, and the thing that I really appreciate about you guys is two things. One is that, you know, you're, you're so passionate about it. it. It's, it's a hobby. It's fun. Um, you can tell you're having a good time and you enjoy it, which is actually surprisingly rare in the, in the college football podcast. <laughs> yes, it world. Is. Um, and secondly, uh, when you compare it to some of these national guys, you know, it's the same talking points. It's about Saban. It's about four or five playoff team caliber teams. Uh, the same talking points every week, but you guys are able to go into a, a high level of detail on all 14 Big Ten teams. I mean, you're able to talk about, you know, Indiana uh, third down passing, not throwing to the sticks. 
uh, talking about <laughs> Iowa's eight eight man D line rotation. Like you guys go really deep and you know your stuff, so uh, it's uh, it's a pleasure to be on. Well, that's awesome. Um, just so our listeners know, we paid Mister Pick uh, Pick Six to pay to say all of that. The other thing, <laughs> the other t- thing too, I'd like to say is we're we're working through audio, right? Um, yeah. Doing the best we can here. Uh, we're actually recording this on Skype, which means we can visually see each other. And I just got to say, Mister Pick Six has an amazing head of hair that he should be very <laughs> proud of. So, along with his uh, savantness with college football, he's got that going too. So. So why don't you just start us out by giving us the background of Pick 6 previews and how the heck did you get all the way up to 60,000 followers? Yeah, sure. Uh, So we launched Pick 6 previews in 2012 uh, as a college football preview website. And right out of the gates, our season preview was rated the most accurate BCS predictions in the country. Uh, There's a a third-party website, Stats and Accuracy, that's been tracking, you know, magazines, websites, newspapers, predictions since the 90s. Uh, And according to their formula, we won 2012. And since then, it's been seven seasons. We're still number one, beating out everyone. Phil Steele, Athlon, Lindy's, uh, the whole bit. So that was kind of our our initial claim to fame. Uh, And that's Power 5 and BCS specific. Um, That was kind of our initial claim to fame. And since then, uh, it's really taken over Twitter. Um, You know, how do we get to 60K? I, I think it's just kind of consistency. Uh, it's a little bit of unique stats. It's not the same stuff that you see, yes. you know, yeah. the same Agreed mainstream that. stats. I try and take a stat and, and uh, look at it a little bit differently, get a different angle on it. Uh, I have my own metrics I've come up with, and uh, it, it seems to have taken off. Uh, Twitter's a great place for, for stuff like that to go viral. And, you know, you guys know college football fans, especially Big Ten fans, very passionate and uh, and very likely to retweet good stuff that they see. So it's been kind of a, an organic movement over Twitter and uh, – it's just kind of grown from there, just consistently, and what I what I think is good and accurate info. And building on that, uh, that is what drew me to uh, pick six previews. Is um, I feel like the data that you get is so slanted, <laughs> and in some version, you're other places, the same, you yeah, mean. in other places, right? Yeah, I meant, want to make that clear, but with you guys. It's not. I've just, again, to build on what you already said, it's fresh. It's different stats that you haven't seen. Um, I don't know. It's it's great stuff, and, and we all appreciate college football fans on Twitter. We all appreciate what you do and, and hope, hope you keep doing it. I consider myself an analytics guy. At least that's what I respect. So that's what draw me drew me to pick six originally. And like Greek already said, the lack of bias. You guys don't seem to have a slant to any one conference or any – you know, pick particular teams. Now, I'm not afraid to call out the SEC people, though. I do. I try. <laughs> okay. I try and hey, level. I wasn't going to so lead I'm you not, down that path. Yeah. But we like so them I'm even not more. Anti, yeah. yeah, I'm not anti-SEC, but I do like to level the playing field a bit because the Thank the way you. the major networks cover them is is kind of nauseating. Yes. So, um, but yeah, I appreciate the kind words there. I think another thing was that I don't really read up on ESPN. I don't really, you know, follow most uh, national podcasts. I kind of find the niche podcasts. Um, I'm in contact with beat writers across the country. Uh, I kind of just want my own take on things. And that, that, that maybe ties into the lack of bias, you know? Yes. Um, if you read 20 ESPN articles, you come away, not brainwashed, but you know what I'm saying? You have a different opinion. So sure. I try and uh, do my own research, take my own angle on things, and uh, it's worked for us. So I uh, appreciate nice. all the kind words there. Yeah. All right. Um, so then that kind of brings us into uh, the next portion of the podcast and the interview is uh, you did a Blue Blood survey um, that we found very interesting, something that we dug into on Twitter. 
So why don't you just start with that? Tell us uh, how you went about it, and then we'll we'll get into the conversation. Yeah, so uh, it's funny. Out of all the things, all the research I do, the stats, the metrics, the numbers, this is probably the least technical, the least uh, numerical, you know, uh, study we did. And and really, what it is is it's this topic of blue bloods, right? This quote unquote blue blood uh, comes up every off season in college football. Um, there really is no exact formula to it. There's no definition to it. It's really kind of a matter of public perception. Sure. So the way we wanted to really, you know, try and find out who the blue bloods were, it's really a public thing. So we just put out. Uh, it was about 18 just identical Twitter polls, a very basic poll. It was just, do you view a certain team as a blue blood, yes or no? And uh, looking at law of large numbers, we got 115,000 votes. So a pretty, wow. good slice of, uh, pretty good slice of the college football community. And, uh, and the results, there was a pretty uh, sharp divide after eight schools. So basic survey, the same survey for all teams, um, and applying the law of large numbers to try and get a public perception feel here. All right, so um, you want to just go ahead and go through those eight teams right now? Uh, sure. I mean, according to uh, College Football Twitter, uh, the eight Blue Bloods were Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, USC, Notre Dame, Michigan, Nebraska, and Texas. And those last two, Nebraska and Texas, came in at 70% approval rate. Uh, there was a huge divide there. The next closest was at 51%, so barely over the majority uh, with Penn State, 50% with Florida, and it goes down from there. So okay. there was a, about a 20% divide between the, you know, the Penn State line up until the top eight. But um, I thought a good idea first between the three of us would be, you know, out of 115,000 votes, I bet every single person has a different definition of what a blue blood is <laughs> to them. So I figured we go around just the three of us uh, kind of explain what it means to you and we can per- proceed from there. That's hilarious because uh, we've got a sheet of questions here that we're working down. That was literally the uh, next question <laughs> I was going to ask you is uh, what, you know, what you feel the prerequisite or what, what the feel is of a blue blood. Bicker, why don't you talk just sure. a couple things that you you would point out? So I, for me, the the things that make a program a blue blood, I think the the important ones are all time wins, bowl games, national championships. I can see AP votes being being part of that, but that kind of ties into the same. So really, I, I'm going to go back to wins, bowl games, national championships. Those are the most important in my book. Pick six. Yeah. So mine. Um... I have three, really. One, just kind of staying power across generations is number one. You know, talking to your old man and his old man, it's kind of, they have to have been relevant and big time kind of throughout the course of the game. That's one. Uh, Number two, titles or extended dynasties over multiple eras and generations. I mean, kind of the same as my first point, but really a focus on the titles and being the, you know, owning the sport for a certain amount of, of years. And number three, kind of a Another intangible. You can't really imagine the sport without them. So as I was going down these top 15 programs or top 20 programs, like can you can you picture the sport without them? And uh, that was kind of a another angle I looked at it. But in terms of these actual numerical stats, yeah, I agree. Uh, all-time wins is big. I'm a titles guy. I mean, you look at some of these that missed the cut. They had a lot of all-time wins, but they couldn't execute at the, at the biggest stage. So wins, titles, all-time win percentage. I think AP rankings is also important. It kind of shows where they stood. Um, so that, that, that's kind of my take on it. I shied away from the Heisman winners being a category. I mean, that, that, that's important, but it's a team sport, you know. So, I mean, are you, are you going to say Alabama's not one because they only had the one Heisman, you know? Right. So that was kind so of my take on it. So let me ask, uh, 
there wouldn't be anything I would add to it. I mean, you guys are hitting all the, all the points that I think most people would look at for a blue blood. <clears throat> Let me ask you guys this. Uh, how far back is too far back? Meaning, because we could go back to Yale. Yeah, <laughs> Yale was dominant you know, in the 1890s. Right, so I would assume we're not really using that. And I, I know that gets into the longevity, right? They they weren't able to keep the pace, so that obviously hurts them big time. But even in a team like, I don't know, a relevant team that's still alive today, if a, if a lot of their wins were back in the 20s right. or 30s, because there's one team I could kind of think about right now, is that too far back to think that that's a blue blood? Well, I like what Brett said about lasting over generations. Were, was, were these teams relevant when your father was young, when your grandfather was young, there's nobody's great grandfather's alive right now, or at least okay. very few. So I would say anything before about 1920 is not very relevant anymore. Right. Well, I think it's a, it's a whole picture. Like if we, with your Yale example, like, yes, back in the day they were dominant, but the last 50 years, I mean, the way that FBS and FCS have split, they've just fallen off the, you know, the big time college football map. So a team like that would go away. Uh, a team like Minnesota and Michigan State, who and won that, a lot and of time. I bring up Yale jokingly. Really, I'm yeah, kind of no, <laughs> Really, I'm kind of Minnesota would be one that you would. You weren't talking about Illinois being dominant from 1915 <laughs> Il- Il- to 30. Well, I think both Illinois and Minnesota are interesting in this yeah. because if there was a pick six previews and interview 60 years ago, they would almost for sure be one of the blue bloods that we'd be talking about right now. Absolutely, and that ties in, I guess the the. The multiple generations thing. I mean, Minnesota, the last 50 years, has been totally irrelevant in football. Um, so they've kind of fallen off. A, a closer example would be Tennessee, who had always kind of been in that blue blood category, but the last 20 years really took a hit. Um, the way that I was kind of cutting it off was World War II. I mean, that's kind of the yeah. game kind of modernized. You, you had the implementation of the AP poll. Uh, bowl games were becoming more than just, you know, the rose and the sugar and a, a handful of games. So you had that factored in. So I, I looked at national titles since World War II as another kind of uh, metric. Mm. And uh, surprisingly, Michigan kind of falls off. And I kind of off, you know, off the line before we got on here, I, I said to the guys I was going to pitch one that's kind of so ingrained in, in the Blue Blood conversation that you don't question it. But uh, I almost need to question Michigan a little bit because talking about uh, how, how old is too old, if you take away their wins before 1900, they fall to ninth in the all-time win category. And that's those are years that they picked up a ton of ground on teams that didn't launch the programs yet um, or just weren't a dominant force in the 1880s. So when you talk about their main fa- uh, claim to fame as number one all-time winningest program, I mean, if you take away what they did in the 1870s and 1880s, they don't have that claim anymore. Yes, they're still a top 10 in wins, but that moniker as the number one winningest team, that goes away when they were beating up on teams 100 to nothing with, you know, when there were 10 teams in the country. Um, funny because when we had talked offline, you had mentioned a team that you were going to talk about and you kept it a mystery on who you had a question. <laughs> I I had two teams in my head mm-hmm. and one of them was Michigan. So I guess I was, you know, I kind of guessed that. One thing I would point out, if I'm a Michigan fan, I'm probably, you know, screaming into the uh, into my uh, steering wheel oh, They're, right they're going to be cussing me out on Twitter. That, that's something new. <laughs> Um, the one thing I would say is, uh, you know, it's not their fault. They were the best a hundred years ago and having a team like Michigan create the sport of college football has paved the way for a lot of other, you know, colleges to come after that and, and for college football to become the sport it is. 
on top of that, it's not like they've been a bad football program for the past, you know, 20, 30, and 40 years. They've been a great football program during that time. So to me, I, I, I respectfully disagree or maybe just don't agree to the, to the full, to the full extent of what you're saying to me, Michigan is definitely still a blue blood. You think Michigan's still a blue blood? Yes. Okay. See, I was going to say because of recency, um, they've had some down years that they've maybe have fallen out of blue blood status. Um, also, you can look back over, since World War II, two national championships, which isn't anywhere near many of the programs we're talking about here. I think they're at least on the cusp of falling out in my mind. Um, yeah, I know. I know Kurt's a titles guy like me, and you look at this. Uh, you take away so from 1948, that was their last um, right. uh, unshared title, right? Unanimous title. So if you go from that point on, it's just the half title in '97. So you're talking about 60 years there, 70 years almost, uh, with just a half national title. So if that's if that's the category, I mean, look at Georgia. Then I mean, yeah, they had the the Herschel Walker title. Um, that's usually the knock on them is, oh, you've only had one title since X date since the 1950s. But I mean, so is Michigan. And if right. you're, uh, if you're going to look at the, the 1880s wins, they actually start to have similar profiles, Georgia and Michigan. One's like, you never question them as being a blue blood. And the other one, you get laughed at for bringing them up. Now, I, I don't know. It's just something to look. Now, I don't, I don't think that Michigan's not a blue blood, but if I had to poke a hole into one of the eight arguments here, uh, that's one that kind of caught my eye. So... And, and we're hitting on all the stuff I was hoping we'd hit on. Um, so it, the things to me are, are on Blue Bloods is about, you know, time and excellence or lack thereof over time. So I think we kind of all agree that somewhere around World War II to present day is what we're thinking about for modern football. Not completely forgetting everything before that, but that's something we agree on. The next thing I would want to bring up is when has recency bias started to play into what we think is a blue blood or not. So what I'm getting at here is teams that were for sure blue bloods 30, 40 years ago, maybe even 20 years ago, but over the last, again, 20, 30 years or so, they haven't been keeping up their blue blood status. Long story short, and pick six, I'll start the question out with you. How long is too long to have gone from your last excellent season before you have to start getting your blue blood status in question? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, I mean, you look at Notre Dame. Their last national title was 30 years ago. That's three decades worth. Um, yeah, they had the Brady Quinn year. Uh, they had an, another undefeated season where Alabama steamrolled them in 2012. And then they had the embarrassment last year. So, uh, that's one. And not only that, but they haven't had a major uh, January 1st bowl win since, I think, 94. So, mm-hmm. I know that they get a pass, just like Michigan. You never actually question Notre Dame because of their old, old history and, you know, them being the flagship Catholic football program in Division One, their own TV channel. But when you really break that down, I mean, God forbid if they joined a conference, they might be, you know, a 7-5 and five team every year. <laughs> but um, that's Ooh, one. Shots fired. Now, <laughs> yeah. Right, let's not get started on Notre Dame. Now, um, a- another team, though, that it gets a lot of cr- uh, criticism, at least online and recently, is, it really is Nebraska. Um, they had their – obviously, they're back-to-back with Devaney, 70-71. And then went on a 25-year stretch of Tom Osborne winning nine-plus games. Uh, just that the high level – and nine games back then. That wasn't Bo Pelini nine wins. That was going nine and one, yeah. you know, yep. a shortened season and barely losing to Oklahoma. Um, so that level of high consistency we've never seen in the sport. 
Uh, that, that bought them a lot of buffer time. And then obviously Osborne's three out of four to end his career helped. But you're talking about since 97, uh, I mean, the whole life of these current recruits, they've never seen Nebraska be relevant. Uh, relevant beyond maybe the Adamic and Sue year, a couple 10-win seasons with Pelini, but nothing like the championship blue blood caliber you'd expect. So I worry about them a bit, too, because of their location, their geography. Uh, they're just not naturally going to you know, throw a stone outside their door and hit a five-star's door like USC can do or Alabama in the Deep South. Uh, even Oklahoma and Texas have that recruiting pipeline. Notre Dame has the national brand. I worry about Nebraska. Now, will Scott Frost turn them around? I, I think so, but I don't know about blue blood status, you know? So that's one that I worry about potentially falling off. And that's one you'll see on Twitter that the, the pitchforks are, are active. They want them out of that blue blood category. Yeah, I can so. uh, tell our listeners I speak from experience. If you've got thin skin, do not attack Nebraska on Twitter because <laughs> – it is a gang mentality. They strike back quick and hard, and they begin with personal insults. Yeah, it's crazy, though, because I did this fall travel out to my first time to see a game at Nebraska, and they were the cool. nicest fan base, nicest people I've ever seen. I've heard the same. And I'm thinking to myself, man, Twitter is a whole different beast. But uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I think every fan base has your, your vocal Twitter, you know, Twitter heroes they try and be. But overall, I, I think Nebraska has a pretty strong following online. They're, they're, you can tell they're passionate, they're dedicated, and they're so thirsty for a title. Uh, kind of like Tennessee in that regard. They're just so, so hungry for a title. Um, I like just like I just like to point out that it was the Illinois fan in Big Kurt and the mystery fan in Pick Six that have talked about Nebraska here. Not the Iowa fan. That's uh, <laughs> the, the third the third part. But one thing I wanted to kind of dig into just a little because it's it's right on the topic that we're at. We're not going to be able to go through all of these teams because um, it, it would just get too too data specific. I don't think it would play very well, but Again, I'm, I, I did a, a quick deep dive on the last five, the last 10, and the last 20 years on some teams and just started comparing win totals, okay? I would like to preface this by saying um, I, I don't use any group of five teams. Um, I'm just looking at power five teams. Um, and, and, and why is that? I would point at TCU, okay? Um, I'm not saying Gary Patterson isn't a great coach, but look at TCU's record consistently when they're in the Mountain West. Then they join the the Pac, I think it might have been the Pac-10 back then, or uh, Big, 12. Big 12. And they took a big jump down in wins right away. And obviously he had to re-recruit to the talent level, and he got them up there. Point I'm trying to make here is I think a lot of this conversation just sticks to, to Power 5 teams. All right, so, yeah, continuing on with the last five years, what's incredible is if you kind of dig into – some of these teams, the, the last five years and the last 10 years of several teams are very close. Okay. So for this, I didn't dig into teams that we all know are towards the, the bottom or at the bottom of power five teams. I was mostly looking at teams in the middle towards the top and just kind of seeing where everybody ranked. Um, these are the teams that are all within four or five wins of each other in the last five years, Virginia tech, 39, Miami, 40, Florida, 40, Auburn, 41, Michigan, 43, USC, 43, LSU, and Iowa at 44. So what that is pointing to right there is Michigan, Mm -hmm. what we would typically consider a blue blood, not really pulling their weight the last five years because you would expect them to be at or above all the teams, pretty much all the teams we listed. 
right there. And then if you go the last 10 years, again, a lot of these teams are really bunched up next to each other. Uh, you got 80, Nebraska, 81, Michigan, 82, Iowa. So I would just stop right there. Right. Three Big Ten teams right there at 80, 81, and 82 with Nebraska, Michigan, and Iowa. And I know I'm kind of you know, patting myself on the back here, but who would have thought Iowa would be the team with the most wins in the last 10 years? And I'll just kind of continue on, and then I'll stop. But uh, Washington, 82, Florida, 83, and then a little bit of jump up. Auburn at 86, and then this one surprised me, Virginia Tech at 86. Mm. So, uh, But still a grouping of teams that are either blue blood, or you would think they were blue blood mixed in with some teams that I've, I'm guessing a lot of college football fans would not expect they were there. So I'll stop there. Any thoughts from either one of you? Well, I, the, what you're saying right here is really important, and it goes back to what Brett said earlier about recruits. Um, recruits have not seen teams like uh, Nebraska, Michigan be be highly successful. So to them, that I mean, this is why you want to be a blue blood, to attract, attract more recruits. And they're not doing that right now. Yeah, I mean, in the eyes of uh, 17, 16-year-old kids, I mean, all they know is Clemson, you know, LSU, Oregon is is cool to them with the new uniforms, you know. It's a whole different kind of branding than what it used to be. I mean, back in the day, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, there was TV advantages, right, to, for Nebraska. Actually, all these Blue Bloods, really, they were the game of the week on, the you know, one of the two na- national games. Um, so that was just piped into every recruit's living room. Now there's... Every single game's televised. Twitter has highlights all day. I mean, that that advantage of being a blue blood back in the 70s, 80s has been erased. So right. the, the playing field has been so leveled in that regard. Um, but and to build off thing, Jeff... And another thing, too, uh, right about the same time when college football was gaining uh, popularity is you went from 105 scholarships down to 85, and I can't express to you right. how big a deal that is when you take 20 players you know probably very high recruits away from the top blue bloods and you start dispersing them out across the country and other teams makes it that much harder for blue bloods to stick around with that being said okay now stats that are going to fly in the face of everything we're just saying Mm -hmm. right because there are four teams that have completely separated themselves in the last five and ten years that would lend itself to say now is as good a time as ever to be the top of the top. Um, I mean, the numbers we were talking about before for the last five years, all of those teams, Michigan, Iowa, Miami, Florida, Florida State, Auburn, LSU, all of them are bunched in the 40s, okay? Ohio State, 62, Oklahoma, 54, Clemson, 65, and Alabama, 67 wins. The last 10 years, it jumps up even more. Oklahoma, 105, Clemson, 112. Ohio State 115, and Alabama with a whopping 127 wins the last 10 years. We have never seen a separation, I don't believe. I don't think so. In just the top three or four teams in the country like we're seeing over the last five or ten years. Thoughts? Yeah, it's true. Uh, it seems like the last five or ten years, it's been the the new idea of kind of a super team. Like you see Alabama, there's a super team. There's it doesn't matter who's leaving every year to the NFL draft. It's just a machine. It's rolling. Uh, you know, Clemson's on that level now. Actually, today as we're recording, they signed the number one overall prospect for 2020. Uh, they're now the number one class. I mean, they're not going anywhere. Uh, Ohio State under Urban Meyer, even before him with Trestle, they were a machine. So yeah, I mean, 
I don't think you used to see that. I think the only exception I could think of was probably Bobby Bowden going 14 straight top five finishes. Um, that was kind of a, a really extended, like high level elite. But who uh, was but but there before? Right, there was no there was no three other teams to join. That's at what the I'm top, saying. What you're saying, yeah, like that's a cluster of teams. That's what's crazy right now. It, yeah, it always lend itself into the Nebraska dynasty, into the USC dynasty. You know, before that was Florida State and Miami. There was kind of one dynasty. We're essentially seeing two what? right now with Ohio State third, and I would say Oklahoma. You know, pretty, think, pretty. But I think what you're seeing I here is George is ready too, guys. George, George is getting close. Yeah. But I think what you're seeing over the last ten years is one team in each conference pulling ahead of the rest of the conference. Of course, with the exception of of the Pac-12 because USC has fallen off. But you look at Ohio State and the Big Ten, Alabama, SEC, Clemson, ACC, and Oklahoma Big Twelve. Those are the four teams that have separated themselves. So one from each conference. Okay, and then two teams I'd like to point out uh, because if I was a fan of one of these two teams, especially one of them, because this is a Big Ten podcast and we haven't brought them up, they'd probably be pretty upset. Right in the middle, almost right in the middle of the grouping of teams I said before in the top blue blood, pick six. You want to take a, a, a guess on which team I'm talking about right here? This is going to be Penn State. Actually, I should have <laughs> I got Wisconsin. Uh, I, I got brought Wisconsin. them up because they were yep. number nine in our poll. Like they were below the huge breakoff there from seventy percent to fifty-one percent. But that was the next in line. Yeah. And uh, the issue I had with them is, yeah, they had a lot of undefeated seasons over the years. They were always, you know, in, in the mix, top fifteen, top ten, but really could only execute with two two national titles, the eighty-two and the eighty-six. Uh, I'm a titles guy, and that's just not enough to cut it as a blue blood, especially given the dark cloud that's kind of come of that, and I think that'll keep them below the blue blood cutoff. But go ahead. Sorry to inter- interrupt. No, that. that's that's good info. Um, I think, to me, don't get me wrong, national titles obviously play into this a great deal. I think maybe sometimes we put a little too much weight mm-hmm. into them, uh, especially this day and age. Um, I mean, that could wind up being a whole other podcast, but – what you had started the the podcast or the interview out with is uh, people in the media basically want to talk about the same three or four teams. And what we're talking about there is the only three or four teams that can win a national title. To me, it's sad if that's how it's going to play out for years and years and years in college football. And a lot of that comes around with putting too much weight into the national titles um, or, or now just getting into the college football playoff. But two teams that I wanted to point out that are in between you know, the top four teams and then that big group of teams, Wisconsin with 53 wins. I mean, that puts them squarely in the middle. In the last five years. Yeah, in the last five years between the, you know, Clemson and Ohio State and down to that Michigan uh, uh, and Florida State. And then the last 10 years, they're at 102 wins. I mean, that's only three wins less than Oklahoma the last 10 years. And another one to throw out there, I don't know if this is going to surprise people, Stanford last five years with 48 wins also with exactly 102 Mm. wins the last 10 years, you know, this would get back into maybe khaki pants is a pretty good coach. I mean, what he got, he'd Stanford too when he was there. It's pretty hard to deny that. Yeah, absolutely. Cause you got to think of where Stanford was put in context before he got there. They were at that lower tier with like Duke and, Northwestern before Fitzgerald, they were a pretty poor program in football. So for him to turn them around, I remember they beat number one USC in 2007, I believe, yeah. the biggest uh, Vegas upset ever. That kind of sparked it, and then they've just built an identity. 
Um, one thing I wanted to note, I was pretty aggressive on Nebraska earlier, but uh, to be on their side defending them here, uh, one last stat I want to throw in here. Since their last national title, I looked at this for five programs here out of our eight Blue Bloods because you hear a lot about how Nebraska's fallen off since their dynasty. So I looked at Michigan and Nebraska since their 97 title, Notre Dame since their 88 title, Texas and USC since 04 and 05. They're all within averaging 8.2 and 8.5 wins per season. So uh, so over, over their time frame since their last title. So it, it's hard to say that one has fallen off when none of them have won a title, uh, obviously since their last title, but they've all been in that eight to nine win range consistently. So a um, little bit of perception, I guess, coming off and some recency bias coming off the Mike Riley era. But uh, I don't want to be too hard on Nebraska because they're certainly right in the mix with the other five that have waited for 20 years for a title. Yeah, I wouldn't question Nebraska as a blue blood program. I'm actually kind of see surprised to see them quite that low. That plays into the recency bias of, of them struggling over the last five years or so. Um, you kind of are hitting on the two teams that I just had circled here, but Texas and USC, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm questioning their blue blood status because when I went through, you know, Winsipedia and was looking through this, I mean, Texas was a 10 win machine from, you know, all through the early 2000s. Um, so we're not far enough away from that to, to strip them down. Same thing I would say about USC. That was even a little bit more recent that they were that dominant. With that being said, the last five years, Texas has only 33 wins. Oof. I mean, they're not even in that bunching, you know, that group of teams that we're, we're talking about there. They've only got 76 wins over the last 10 years, Texas. Wow. Um and that, again, I guess kind of gets us back to the same thing, you know, you'd started out with uh, at the beginning of the interview. How many years will it ha- will have have to pass before we stop thinking about Texas and, and having them rank to start the season? Well, I think you'd see a much different uh, percentage if you limited this these votes, uh, these polls to 18 and under versus all of Twitter, which. You know, Twitter's a pretty young place, but still not exclusive to 18-year-olds. But, yeah, I, I go back to recruiting. Um, that, that's where this becomes important. And a lot of these traditional powers are not seen as powers by these recruits. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you'd, have, you'd have two different answers if you pulled, like you said, all of Twitter, all ages, or the, the younger generation. I mean, in a way... The younger generation is kind of reflected by the by how they end up picking colleges. Imagine you're the number one recruit in the country. You can go anywhere you want. Uh, where where you're putting your preferences in, that's who you're viewing as the top programs. We're kind of seeing their view through their eyes um, as these recruiting rankings come out each year, and you're seeing it's Bama, Clemson, um, you know Ohio State's up there. You're not seeing Nebraska landing top ten classes. You're not seeing um, who else. Uh, Texas has kind of bounced back, but you're not seeing. Uh, Miami able to close off top 10 classes. They start with them, but everyone decommits and goes to the other Florida schools. So uh, I think that's one way to kind of see the the younger generation's opinion on these programs. The way that Oregon can land a top five class last year, unprecedented. I mean, that's coming off like a six-win year, never won a national title. But to these recruits, they've been, you know, on a Chip Kelly. That was their – they were growing up with Chip Kelly. They were top five uh, in the playoff, in the championship a couple years there. So – it's all perception, man. So that's why I tried to go law of large numbers and get every age group considered. But it is certainly interesting going forward. 
So I guess that kind of brings us to the the overall thought process of Blue Bloods, which is, I don't mean to speak for all three of us, but I, I think we all have a love-hate relationship with Blue Bloods and the fact that, you know, I, I love when Iowa plays the 11 o'clock game and there's good games on for the afternoon and night games. When those games are on, I love when it's, uh, you know, two Blue Bloods going at it. Um, with that being said, all of the attention that goes on Blue Bloods all the time is overdone and it gets tiring. There are tons of other fan bases just pop into my head. West Virginia, okay? Huge, you know, fan base that, that loves their team, um, but they're not a Blue Blood and it's it's upsetting when a you know a team like that doesn't get a little bit more more you know attention from the national media. Yeah, I agree, and I think it's you got to limit uh, where you're getting your your college football content from. If you're always on ESPN, <laughs> you're gonna hear it's blue blood. Uh, it's a blue blood network. But um, yeah, I agree. If you dig a little deeper, I mean, a, a team I discovered a few years back that has such a passionate fan base and they're building something up there is Utah. I mean, those guys love their sure. football, man. Um, so over the years, I've gotten more away from just watching the you know the, the my team and the big games each week uh i'm watching i'm up till two in the morning here on the east coast watching pac-12 network watching a, a blurry yeah, utah excellent. versus you know utah versus washington state game i, I love it man so I, I can i've gotten to the point where i, I take uh, i'm excited to see any of the 65 power five teams play and through podcasts like you guys like i'm excited to see indiana's offense if they can develop with the new guy tuttle uh you know, uh, how Illinois and Maryland, can they develop some kind of a passing attack? They have the, they have the rushing attack. Uh, can they match it with a passing game? Uh, just stuff like that. You can find storylines on storylines for any program if you really, you know, look to alternative sources of, uh, of content. So I just, yeah, I've, I've gotten to just appreciate everything. I mean, I'll take any game, any Thursday night, you know. Uh, it's just all, uh, it's all perception, I guess. I don't know. And, and there's two things I want to point out is number one, it's just refreshing to hear what you're being right now is positive. You're, you just have a positive outlook <laughs> on a lot of teams, which obviously is not the case on Twitter. Yeah. What drives me nuts is apparently uh, Alabama and Clemson are great and everybody else sucks. Yeah, like right. we talk about that yeah. all the time, how annoying that gets. That's obviously not the case. The other thing I'd like to point out is Finding a a huge college football fan that is East Coast based like you are, that's like yeah. that's like spotting a Yeti out in the woods, man. Are you like by yourself where where you're at? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's uh, I'm in Philadelphia. It's Eagles country, and we we've had season tickets to the Eagles since the '60s, so we do love our Eagles. But for me, it's I watch three hours on Sunday, I watch 13 hours on Saturday. You know what I mean? So damn right. Uh, I'm college football first, college football second. Um, that's just how it is. It's rare out here, like you said. A lot of Penn Staters. That's not me, but uh, that's what you have out here. All right. Well, that was awesome. Um, do you want to tell our listeners about any uh, upcoming pick six preview stuff that you're doing? Yeah, sure. So uh, coming up this August, we have our 2019 season preview coming out. Uh, that's full write-ups for all 65 power power conference teams. Um, it's, it's more than you get on newsstands, right? On newsstands, you get a little blur about the team. It's like three sentences about the offense, three sentences about the defense, uh, and then, like, you know, the returning starters grid. Well, that, there's just so much more to dive into than that. And on our site, on our preview, you'll see advanced stats, kind of heat-mapped green through red, you know, where the strengths are, where the weaknesses are, some of my own stats I've created. Uh, I'm, I'm calling beat writers across the country, getting the local feel, uh, and I'm, I'm putting out, you know, 1,000, 2,000-word previews. So it's it's way, you know, more, more advanced, more in-depth than you're going to get on newsstands, and it's something that we're really passionate about and working throughout the year on. So... 
That'll be coming up this August, and uh, hopefully uh, I'm able to join you guys again later in the preseason, uh, get a little bit of an actual preseason preview for the Big Ten. I know this was more general and, you know, off-season-y, but would love to, uh, you know, do some X's and O's in the summer too. Uh, we're definitely going to take you up on that offer. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm good here. You good pick six? Yeah, no, thanks again for having me on, guys. And uh, like I said, you're my go-to for the Big Ten, uh, Big Ten podcast. So I'll, I'll be catching up on some previous months, but I'll get there uh, over the next couple of months. All right, we thanks, appreciate buddy. that. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. All right, bye. bye. All right, so uh, we were again, once again really appreciate Pick Six previews for coming on the podcast. I think they did. He did an amazing job with that interview, and I didn't get to say it, but truly one of my favorite follows on Twitter, maybe my favorite absolute Twitter. Yeah, I think follow. I. I think I kind of stumbled at, over that at the beginning. I was trying to start the interview off by saying that was last sometime last fall. I I, I just realized I'm like, you know, you follow enough uh, college football specific Twitter handles, but there was one that just kept yeah putting great content out, and then I realized it it wasn't a whole bunch of them. It was mostly pick six that was doing that stuff, and it's 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 a got to follow if you're a college football fan. absolutely and we should mention at pick six is his twitter handle okay i'm sorry pick six previous at pick six previous, previous is his twitter handle okay so give him a listen or give him a follow uh, on twitter you won't regret it and speaking of following we appreciate you following us on twitter and speaking of listening we definitely uh, appreciate you listening to the podcast unless you got anything else big kurt that's it man right, I, you I battled need, you made it man i need a beer yeah good all right thanks everybody bye